You're listening to The Lively Show, episode 325. Welcome to The Lively Show. I'm your host, Jess Lively, and this podcast is designed to uplift, inspire, and add a little extra presence to your everyday. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you so much, as always, for listening. Today's episode is brought to you by FreshBooks. FreshBooks is bookkeeping software for creatives and small business owners. If you are one of those types of people and you need to track your expenses and your invoicing, I highly recommend you try FreshBooks, especially as we're here at the start of a new year. I have loved using it since 2012. It is still so super simple, intuitive, pretty and easy. It's all the things that I love about basically Instagram as my favorite way of using and connecting with you guys. And when it comes to bookkeeping and invoicing, I feel the same way about that, which is a huge feat as you've heard me share before. If you are looking, like I said also though, at the start of the new year to do something a new way and you wanna find your bookkeeping aligning for your business, please give this a shot for 30 days to see if you like it as much as I do. You can go over to freshbooks.com lively and then in the how did you hear about us section, enter the word the lively show to let them know that you heard about it through the show. And like I said, enjoy it. It's so pretty and fun. And I genuinely suggest it from every element of the business, from the start of it all the way through actually having to work with the service team if you ever need to have any questions on that front, or if you have multiple companies, you name it, go give it a try. All right, guys, this is a solo show, but it's not a Q&A. And no, there's nothing wrong with the collective, the Collective Collective, which is our ongoing three-month program for lively episode listeners who want to actually be a part of the Collective Q&A. We're doing that behind the scenes. But no, that doesn't mean that the Collective isn't going to come back to the show either. It just means that the simple fact is Annie and I haven't scheduled to do another show yet, but it doesn't mean there won't be more in the future to come. But This is a type of show I used to do way back when, a solo episode on a topic. But as you guys have heard me share after I took the really big long break, I really didn't want the human Jess to be the teacher too much anymore. That's not really as the human mind part of me, what I feel is most helpful to give you guys. However, I do see there's a lot of value and I've seen so many comments on Instagram from you guys as well. Thank you for all of those that have sent them that find the benefit in hearing the human apply the content that enlightened or non-physical entities teach us about. So in that case, this is something that I can provide. And in terms of doing the solo episode, it's not me saying, here's what you shall do to be like just the human mind that's doing this stuff. Like, no, no, no. But what I have an idea for, what I have the inspiration for, for you guys, is to give you some insight from all of the deep inner voice work that I've done So over the last year, I've been doing these deep inner voice sessions. They're two hours long with clients who sign up. Usually I'll just share if I post a batch of client sessions over on Instagram stories and people can sign up from there. And if you're listening to this and you're curious and you want to try this and your intuition says, yes, I want to do this with Jess, you can go over to jesslively.com slash client sessions to see if there's any new client sessions opening available while you're listening to this. So I don't know when you'll be listening, but if you want to check, you can go over there and see if I'm still doing them whenever you're choosing to listen to this, but I will say the last six to eight months I've been doing them, the people that I work with spend two entire hours living as their inner voice. And I spent two entire hours being there, interviewing these inner voices for the clients that I'm working with. So the person gets so far out of their head that they're allowing their inner voice to talk to me for two hours. And I ask the inner voices questions on all the topics their mind could ever ask about. 
And I love it because it is such a unique way for me to spend so much time with enlightened consciousness, not just the collective, which is lovely when it comes through Annie, but also to get your everyday people. I have helped and worked with people doing this inner voice work. I've worked with rabbis, male rabbis in America. I've worked with gay Nepalese people living in London. I've worked with African immigrants in LA. I worked with someone in Germany and someone in France last week. It is just so cool to see the amount of consciousness coming through such varied vessels around the world. And what's really, really awesome for me as well is it's given me such a keen insight, two to 16 hours a week, depending on how many of these sessions I'm doing each week, to be able to talk with this consciousness because the consciousness of inner voice is of the average person. That inner voice enlightened consciousness is so universally similar. Just like the minds of each individual, even though we think they're so personalized to us and our situations, they're also so universally similar. So what's cool is as I have these conversations with people, different people's inner voices alert me or bring attention to different aspects of consciousness and differentiating between the mind and inner voice. So there's two elements I want to speak about today with you to help share. And then I'm going to, of course, do my own little just Lively thing. I'm going to actually try to make it applicable to you guys. I'm going to try to actually show you how you can apply these two deep, deep awarenesses I can bring your awareness to, the difference between when you're living from your mind and when you're living from what we call the inner voice, inner being, intuition, you name the other part of you, whatever you want to call the non-ego, non-thinking, non-mind part, that other part of us has different experiences of this reality. So there's kind of this dual experience we're all having at any given time on any subject. So I want to help, like I said, bring your awareness to which one you're in. And then once I explain them, go through the three areas that humans tend to focus on the most. The human mind tends to worry about relationships, career or abundance, and health. Health, wealth, and relationships. Those are the three things that humans have. They're kind of like the big three. Here, I'm in Africa right now, so it's kind of a fun thing to say. The big five are the big five animals that people like to go see when they're going on safari. The big five. Well, the big three for human minds, in terms of what they like, they really love having love. They love having abundance and career sorted out, and they love having their health. So those are things that are really important to the human mind and the human body essence of this reality. We're going to go through each of those three in relation to these qualities that our mind have and what our inner voice has. So let's get started. So when it comes to the mind versus inner essence or inner voice, inner being, I'll use them all interchangeably. But let's just, if at the quick start, if I say mind or human or the ego or the brain, let's just kind of lump those in. They're generalizations. They're synonyms sometimes. Sometimes they're different. But for the sake of this episode and our communication between one another, We'll just kind of call the one the mind, the brain, the, you know, the stuff that thinks and all that stuff. That's one element. And then we have the essence, the inner voice, the inner being, the intuition, whatever word you want to use, the soul, to that other word, that other part of ourselves. Now, when it comes to the inner voices, I have loved these two awarenesses. And it's been so useful for me to have these points of view in my awareness throughout my life because I can check in with myself and say, where am I coming from right now? What am I experiencing in my life right now? And which place is it coming from? Is it coming from my mind or is it coming from my intuition, inner being? So the first is the difference between attention versus presence. 
This was so cool and I loved hearing. I actually did a little deep dive with the inner voice that was coming through with this, but it was so cool to hear the inner voice explain this last week. I think it was with either my German or my French client, but it was so cool to hear the intuition explain this difference. So I asked, what's the difference between the attention versus presence? And they said the attention comes from the mind and that's that compulsive thinking. It often feels rushed, action-oriented and judgmental. I'm summarizing this for you guys. That's not exactly how it said it. I don't remember exactly the words that came out, but that was the awareness it was bringing me to, was that the mind gives attention to things versus being present with things. So having presence with something, not even just present, to be present with something. You could be present with something from the mind or you can be in presence with something. So you can be present, you can be sitting in front of a situation or topic, whether you're literally sitting in front of the tiger in the safari, or if you're thinking about going on the safari and you're looking at the lions in the safari truck, you could literally be present with the lion, or you could just be thinking on the topic of the lion in the safari car. Both of those are you being present with the topic, but which place are you coming from? Are you coming in the present moment with the mind? Or are you coming in the present moment with the presence of your inner being? They're different. So the attention is the compulsive thinking, the rushed, action-oriented, judgmental way of looking at things, which is how your mind would look at it. And the presence is a connected, calm, peaceful, and decisive energy. Very different. So you can be present in mind or you can be present in awareness and consciousness and your inner being and they're gonna look completely different. So one thing you're gonna wonder is being present with something, being in presence with it from your intuition, from your inner being, doesn't mean you ever take action. If you're always connected and calm and peaceful, does that mean you don't ever take action? Well, Often, it's very decisive. That was the word I used to actually describe the type of action the presence would have. Action does occur from the inner being, but it often comes from a completely different vibration than the mind's action-oriented ways. So think of like an accident or something that's a really intense emergency. I have a friend named Luther in Australia, and he saw someone's arm locked in the door of a subway train once, and most people on the train were freaking out, but he had the presence. They were giving attention to the guy with the arm stuck in the subway train car. They were like sitting in there in the door. They all saw it. They're all freaking out. They might have been screaming. They might have been saying, he needs help. Help him out. They're all giving attention. They were thinking about it. They were judging it as wrong. His arm shouldn't be in the door. How do we help him out? They were all thinking of potential actions by calling out screaming. There was a lot of rushness, but Luther was the one in the presence He stayed calm, he scanned the door, saw the emergency button, and then pressed the release. So his actions came from presence. Meanwhile, everyone else in the experience was giving attention to it. So yes, presence does act, but he was connected, calm, peaceful, and decisive. He wasn't compulsively thinking, he wasn't rushed, he wasn't action-oriented in terms of like running around like a chicken with his head cut off. (laughs) He actually was able to act in a decisive way that came from that calm, peaceful place. So yes, you can take action, don't worry, you don't have to just sit there like a lump on a log, but the actions that come from presence are often far fewer than the attention 
mind aspect. So the mind loves to take action, loves to run around, loves to do a ton of different things that are not always as effective as the calm, peaceful, decisive action. And again, words and thoughts don't equal presence. So attention is not the present. So remember, if you've ever been in a conversation with someone, maybe your partner or your children are with you, and they're saying, you aren't really hearing me. Have you ever been like giving someone the attention, like you're there, you're giving them their attention, but you're not really present with them. You're not in presence with them. You're not really hearing me. That feeling of not really being heard, even though the person is actively there, on some level, they're giving you attention. The presence is what they're really craving. So just by giving words and thoughts to something doesn't mean you're actually being present with someone. Attention is not the presence. And likewise, silence can be even more connecting than words and thoughts alone. So you can be in presence with someone and not even needing to think, not even needing to share any words. If you've ever been traveling and you've not spoken the language somewhere, but you connect with a little child on the street or even just little children in general that don't have the language yet, even wherever you are, you can connect with them often in such a deep presence filled way that is deeper than the words and So again, attention and presence are not the same thing. Words and thoughts don't mean you're actually being in presence with someone. So those are the two big elements. Am I being in attention? Am I giving attention to a situation? Or am I being in presence with it? And again, I'm gonna go through the three different aspects and how you can know which one you're doing on the big three of the humans. And the other thing I'm gonna explain is the difference between attachment versus love. The mind attaches and the inner being essence loves. So what's so interesting is in humanity right now, at the level of awareness we're in, if you listen to love songs, especially historical ones from any era before now, most songs are singing about love or heartbreak on the topic of love, but those are usually most often describing attachments. They're not describing inner being love. So I'm gonna go through the difference between those on a quick topical level, the attachment level, the mind's, what it calls love. When the mind tries to love something, it's actually attaching to it. So there could be heartbreak, there could be judgment, there could be expectation, there can be emotional beanbags and triggers. And also this idea of building this person up to some big glorious level that's also attached as well. Meanwhile, the inner being essence of love is a peaceful connection of reverence and honor at all times does not have an opposite. So the attachment will have a love and then a hate. It's like, how did someone that went from loving someone go to hating them? That's all in the mind. Whatever the person, if they say they went previously, they love them and now they hate them. Anything they previously said that was love that they now deem not there was all never love in the first place. That's just attachment to the person and these expectations, but it had nothing to do with true love because true love and the essence of love as the inner being loves never goes away, never varies, and is always connected at all times. So anytime you have the opposite, anytime you have what you could consider the opposite of love, That's just mental attachment. And when you know that, oh my gosh, does it change so many things. So it's so helpful. And now we're gonna go through. When am I operating in the present moment from the mind, whether that's, for this example, attention or attachment, and when am I operating in the present moment from presence and inner being love? 
Okay, so let's start with relationship situations and we'll go through attention versus presence and then we'll go through attachment versus love. So attention and presence in relation to relationships. Okay, so attention, your mind giving someone incessant thoughts, thinking about them all the time. Now this can be either I love them so much, like I said, like the heart rush that could lead to a crash later, that is all attachment. So you could feel this rushed, frenetic, hurried, judgmental energy, whether it's the rushed, frenetic, hurried, judgmental energy, the extreme good, oh my God, they're so amazing, I love them so much, I'm so turned on, all of that attention, or it could be the negative, the polarity, the bad, the rushed, frenetic, hurried, judgmental energy that says how terrible they are, how they're not paying enough attention to you, blah, blah, blah. So attention is thinking about someone in the thinking mode incessantly. And also one of the ways to know, are you feeling this attention level? This is gonna take a little bit of awareness, but I bet you've experienced this in the past. Even if you're in a great stable relationship now, maybe in the past you've had this feeling where you've built someone up to be the most wonderful person in the world or like the worst breakup in the world. But when your mind is really attached, it will make this whole big story and all these emotions that go with it. Emotions are also in the general polarity structure, a part of the mind. So the emotions are part of the mind, not a part, again, misconceptions of humanity to say the heart and say heartbreak or to say emotions from the heart that are of polarity, you can feel them in the physical heart space, the area we call our chests, but that is not the inner being, the inner being essence. I've spoken to too many inner beings, hundreds of hours now at this point. They feel peaceful, calm, and connected at all times. We could differentiate here. What we often say, the heart versus the mind, or if we separate those two, we gotta separate. We cannot say that the heart ever feels heartbreak in that case, or we need to separate if we really wanna say, because we do feel so much emotion that comes from mental attachments in the chest, then we gotta switch the words up and say essence. The essence doesn't feel the polarity of emotion that the polarity of emotion that's created from the mind does. So it's always in the state of peace and calm and knowing, even when it needs to take a difficult action, like let's say putting a dog down because their quality of life is no longer strong enough to continue their life. That knowing, to make that decision is peaceful, calm, and loving. When I chose to let go of Ellie, I chose to allow her adoption to happen from my neighbors in Michigan. Knowing that, my mind had a lot of emotions, attachments, and heartbreaks to that. But my inner being was at deep peace with the transition to owning her and to releasing her to the new owners that she now has. So that peace was always there, even though my mind went through the whole roller coaster of emotion that I felt in my chest that was never coming from what often we call our hearts. That was coming from my essence and inner being that stayed calm the entire time. So again, it's so fascinating as you start to look at life from these dual lens to see where is my mind on this subject and where is my essence or what we say heart, let's just be aware, heart is not the mind and the state of polarity. So attention, giving someone so much attention, whether it's they're the best or the worst, you know that your mind is making this up when you actually see them in person after thinking about them a whole lot. And there's sort of that letdown feeling in the present moment when you're actually with them. Are they as exciting as you thought they were when you're thinking about them all week? Is that date on Friday night after thinking all week about them and building it all the way up when you're actually in 
person with them? Are they as great as their mind has made them out to be? Or are they as terrible as the mind had made them out to be? I'm betting you've had one moment in your life where you've thought about that and gone, wow, this is kind of more, not boring, but like a bit more pedestrian than the mind had made up. The concept of who they are has been built up greater than the reality, whether it's good or bad, whether it's the high or the low, that concept of someone is a huge indication. If you feel that them in your presence is not as exciting or compelling as they are in your mind, that's how you know the mind is totally attached to a story of who they are. Again, this could be totally obvious to some people listening, but there's also gonna be some parts of this I think that might be worth checking out as well. So like I said, meanwhile, the presence is peaceful and connected. Now this is why when you're in presence with someone, you know those friends you have, you haven't talked to for like two decades and you get on the phone call with them and you catch up about what's new with them and they've had new children, they've gone through different life transitions, et cetera, and you feel like no time has passed at all. You know how that feeling is? Like you've stayed, you're like, oh my God, we haven't even caught up, but it's just like no time has passed. What that means is that you've been in presence with them. Even though you haven't been communicating with them, the presence that you've had with them is really still remained in that connected, peaceful place. You haven't incessantly been thinking about them the way you've been doing with the dramatic relationship we described earlier, that kind of crush-like energy, but this is a sign of true presence. So your inner being can be connected to them without having to think excessively about them. Now, likewise, if you actually have an active relationship that is really healthy, often the presence doesn't always mean you have to give them boatloads of attention. Attention, again, is that clinging quality, the attachment quality, the mind quality. We think that we need to give everybody all of this attention, but really, the really strong relationships, I've had two friends that have wonderful marriages, and they actually, one of them, I will let her remain nameless since you guys might know her, and I don't, I didn't ask her if I should share this before or not. She has this little text message that she likes to send to her husband when they're away and they're on different trips. It's N-I-J. They'll send each other that text message. And I asked her what N-I-J means. And she said, it's not in jail. <laughs> They're so independent as people. And this is a perfect dynamic for them. Instead of incessantly giving each other attention, they're in pure presence with the present moment that they're in. And while they're in that moment on their separate trips, they also are still in presence with each other by not even thinking about them. Their presence remains connected, just like the people that you haven't talked to for two decades. They're not incessantly attached in emotional beanbag territory here. The beanbags, as you guys might have heard me share about here and there, is these emotional, Eckhart calls them pain body, these emotional feelings that get stuck in our emotional bodies throughout our lives that just get triggered by other situations. That's all in the mental attachment era. When you don't have that and you just have that peaceful connection, you can be totally present with wherever you are and by not even having to think about the other person, be in total presence with someone that's not even there. Because you don't worry about them. You know the peaceful connection is so deep, the mind doesn't need to fixate or worry or judge. So you can send a text message to your partner after a few days of not seeing them with NIJ and it's totally fine. For them, that works. Now, that doesn't mean every relationship needs to be that way. It doesn't mean you can't talk or think about your partner and that if you do, that's somehow bad. That doesn't mean that. 
but you notice the difference if you love to think and talk and share with someone on a regular basis. And when you have that beanbag energy, that emotional attachment energy, you can talk to someone as much as you want, but the essence of the connection and calm and peace, that's the peace we're really looking for underneath any type of word or lack thereof. Like my friend Erica said, speaking about her husband, as long as he's not in a car accident or he's not dead, I don't worry at all. I know that we'll have time to figure something out if it needs to be discussed at some point. She's that relaxed with her relationship that she doesn't need to have this assess immediate response to any messages or any conversations. Now, if anyone has been like myself with a lot of emotional beanbags and attachments and mental energies going towards dating, <laughs> that energy, the idea of as long as he's not in a car accident or dead, Tell that to someone who's been dating someone for a few weeks off of a dating website and they're wondering if they're getting ghosted or not. <laughs> Often the worries and thoughts going through the mind of someone in that scenario is very different than what Erica is saying. Because Erica, in this case with her husband, has this presence, this calm connection that doesn't need an immediate response for her to feel calm and connected. So that's an example here. Again, another way of looking at this is uh, the mind is the thinker in this inner being essence is the knower. And so when it comes to relationships, if you want to think about attention versus presence in terms of should you relationship take it to the next level. I remember my dad once telling me when I was in college that he and my mom got engaged after six months. Now, when I found this out, I had been dating my college boyfriend for about a year up to that point, and I didn't have a feeling of whether I knew it was him that was going to be my partner or not, but I thought my dad was completely crazy at that time because I was thinking from my mind, and I never had that knowing feeling about a partner before in terms of a relationship going forever, or like, let's say that's it forever, for a marriage-type situation. I didn't have it with my partner at the time, so... I didn't know what he was talking about, but here's what he said about the six months. Now, my parents are still married at this point, so his six months, I just thought to myself in my head, he hasn't even had a full like holiday season for one year with my mom, and he just decided he was going to get married to her. His response was, when you know, you know. It's like buying a car. If you're on the fence for too long, it's not the right car. Now, I understand that from a car point of view because I've had that intuition about cars, but <laughs> I hadn't had it to a partner at that time. So that was a very foreign concept to me. And my logical, attention-seeking mind, attachment-focused mind didn't understand because it had never had that deep, connective presence experience with knowing about a partner for something like marriage. Now let's go into, in relationship, attachment versus love. So not just attention versus presence, but also attachment versus love. I've said it before and I'm gonna say it again because this is one of my favorite awarenesses to bring to my own mind and just seeing our perception being misconstrued in humanity right now. Heartbreak, the idea of being heartbroken. I asked in her voice this once. It wasn't the same one that described the earlier attachment versus presence. A different one, I said, inner voice, I know how many humans feel emotional beanbags or emotional pain in their chest. And so they say it feels like their heart's been broken into a million pieces. Or they feel like they have tons of weight in their chest. If you're never unhappy inner being, and I've never heard any inner voice that's ever been out of a state of peace or love or alignment, how come all these humans are feeling all of this heart pain? If it's in the heart and you're here, how can they have pain at the same time in a place that apparently doesn't have it? And the inner being explained it so beautifully. They said, that's the physical heart. That's the physical area of a body. That is not the actual 
essence of who you are. That's not the animating force of you. We don't have to make our essence overly simplistic to literally the organ called the heart or the chest literal region. Even though we do experience our essence much stronger in the heart gut regions, we can also feel tons of beanbags, emotional beanbags, also in the stomach area, by the way. So I would say the vast majority of people's emotional beanbags or pain body, as Eckhart calls them, when I do client sessions, you can get them in weird places like your toes, your arms, your neck is a very common place. People feel it even in your head sometimes. But the vast majority of the emotions tend to live between the neck and the legs. So in their heart, chest region, there's so much emotional pent up blocked energy. And as you go about releasing those things, you're gonna be amazed at how much is actually there, humbled in fact by how much is actually there as you go through an awareness and release them. But also those regions, your gut and your heart, don't have that actual discomfort. Those, the essence of you, your intuition, inner being, all that stuff is peaceful, is calm, is connected, and is loving. It's just underneath all the beanbags. So I actually do use the word beanbags, not because every single emotional pain feels like a literal little beanbag sitting on top of your body, but often they feel like paperweights or ropes or like a 10 pound weight sitting on your chest or your stomach or little bean bags. And so if you think of them as these little heavy objects or sometimes large heavy objects on top of your body, underneath them all is that peaceful, calm, pure place that's calm and all of that heart and essence energy. But above that is all of this emotional drama. So don't confuse when we sing about heartbreak or we sing about, you know, you have butterflies in your stomach or you had a terrible dread in your stomach. There's a lot of emotional fears from the mind that live in those areas. So it makes it a bit confusing, but please know the peaceful feelings underneath that you can also experience in the same areas, but there's a different quality to them. So this is why I hope this is helpful for you guys to hear this explained and differentiated so you can bring awareness to your own life and know which part of you is being activated right now. By the way, I'll also say emotions in the mind, the mental emotional body, are a natural part of the human experience, which involves having a mind. So there's nothing wrong with it. However, the continual perpetuation of negative emotions, which we keep having over and over and over again in similar triggering experiences, that's not a requirement of being human. That's actually what Eckhart calls the insanity of humanity right now. He doesn't say it in the rhyming way, but that sounds good. The insanity of humanity is to have those experiences, not see them in awareness, and continue to find situations in more and more situations in the future to perpetuate the same feeling. So yes, emotions are a natural part of our experience. There's nothing wrong with having beanbags. We all have them, first of all, so we might as well accept them and move forward in releasing them. But we also don't have to stay stuck in continual perpetuation of them. We can release them in awareness. This is just a transitory phase in humanity. So there's nothing wrong that we have them. It's a part of it, but you don't have to stay stuck in it. 
the suffering, as we've talked about with the collective, has been a part of humanity for a long time. It's still a part of it now, but it's not a requirement of humanity or of being in the physical body. It has been, it is currently, but it is not a mandate or requirement. And in the future, that may change as humanity evolves. But for us right now, we can say, okay, it's not bad that we have them, but you don't have to stay, for example, really obvious, obvious example here would be someone that is in a abusive verbal or emotional or physical relationship and continues to find guys or partners of any kind that perpetuate that abuse. Like just because you can feel negative emotion and that's a part of your reality doesn't mean you have to keep going to people that hurt you, that you have to keep going to relationships that don't serve you. That's not required. So having heartbreak, what we call heartbreak, the emotional beanbags, having a breakup that breaks your heart in the sense that you feel the emotional trauma of that in the mind, that's all fine. But staying into situations and being drawn into things because of that feeling never being processed and released properly is not required. We don't have to stay in them. We can have them, we can release them, and we can let them go and move on to situations that serve us better. Also, I will say the mind can also still have preferences, but attachments are different than preferences. The mind can have a preference for something, but as long as it's not attached, it will allow something that serves it better to come in to its reality, even if it goes against the mind's preference. It doesn't fight a situation. Okay, meanwhile, true love, inner being love, has no opposite. It just loves, pretty simple. It just loves, but it's not like it loves in that it approves. Does that make sense? In the sense of approval to have disapproval. It approves in a sense of universality. It loves everything. It loves all the politicians. If you're in a country that has a lot of political unrest right now, it loves all the politicians equally. It doesn't love one more than another. It doesn't judge them based on who has more awareness. It doesn't judge at all. It just loves. It's not personal, it's not situational, and it's not circumstantial. It doesn't matter how someone treats you, it still loves. It doesn't mean you have to stay in a relationship with someone, but it just loves. Love doesn't have the opposite in the intuition, inner being sense. The easiest way I can see this evolving in my own awareness as it's growing within myself is that as a mind, I used to have a preference or a what were we calling it here? Attachment to being a dog person. I was attached to dogs more than I was cats. I know a lot of people have a preference of one type of animal over the other if they're going to have a pet. And mine was dog for sure. I had a few cat experiences when I was younger and they were not that positive. So my mind always had a dog preference and focus. It felt easier. I understood them, etc. But in the last few weeks, I've just noticed this love for cats coming up. At first, I just fell in love with this internet cat named Lulu. It's <laughs> just the cutest thing I'd ever seen. It was like a French bulldog cat, sort of. And so this type of cat first caught my attention to cats because it was so darn cute. I just couldn't believe this type of cat existed. And then I started watching videos of Lulu the cat on YouTube. And now I can see why there's so many cat videos on the internet. And again, I had avoided all the cat videos because as a dog person, that was not my mind's preference. My mind did not love, in the sense of mind love, cats as much as dogs. But my intuition, my inner being loves cats as much as dogs. It loves everything as much as everything. So it's been fun to see this cat affiliation or this cat love starting to surface because I can tell it's beyond the identity and persona of Jess Lively that loves cats. 
It started with Lulu, but now it's kind of become this any kind of cat. And funny enough, now in my life, I've actually been meeting more cats in person than dogs. And I'm so happy that I had this whole Lulu thing start soon and before meeting these other cats because just because my mind was like, okay, well, this type of cat is awesome because it looks like a French bulldog type of cat. Would see normal looking cats that didn't have the Scottish fold look to them. And those other cats that are just, I don't know, normal cats that didn't look like a Scottish fold cat, I also now love. But it doesn't mean that my mind loves them the way it loves a dog. It doesn't mean it's my history or my persona. It's just that my essence loves cats as much as they love dogs. So my awareness is now coming through in a stronger way. And so this new element is a part of who I am, but it doesn't mean that it's part of the Jess Lively identity. Unless the identity of Jess Lively, the mind, decides to make it a new identity factor of Jess. What I really see it is that just the essence of me is coming through. Likewise, when the whole Australian fire thing, you guys have probably seen me on Instagram share, I just have been really aware of all of that because I have a deep, deep, deep love for Australia. And so seeing all of that, we're actually with our foundation doing a lot of work to help with the trauma for people that have experienced it and so forth. But when I've been following a lot of the information, not so much about like the destruction because that's not gonna help me do anything. It's just like started to show me on Instagram a lot of the animals that are being rescued through the Aussie fires. And what's been interesting is as I scroll through, they show a lot of pictures of kangaroos, but mostly koalas is what I see. They'll show these koalas with casts on their arms or their feet or their like little shaved parts where they've needed to do things because of their burns. When my mind looks at that, or a mind could look at that picture and want to cry for the fact that this koala is out of its natural habitat, it's gone through this depressing situation, it's confused, it's lost, it's burned, whatever. What I've noticed is I want to kiss the phone, but I'm not crying. If I was trying to, to describe this to myself a few years ago, I don't know that I could really convey this. So if you haven't had this experience like myself a few years ago, I don't know that it'll make sense, but I'll do my best to explain it. There's an urge to kiss the phone, to kiss the koala. But my perception of the koala is not that it's broken or that it's burned or that it has casts or that there's been a fire and that this is bad. There's just an urge to kiss the phone in love. It's to kiss the koala in love, but it's not looking at the koala as if it's wrong or that something bad happened. It's not judging anything is wrong or anything is bad. It just wants to kiss the koala. It wants to give the koala a hug. It wants to love the koala unconditionally and not because of the fires. It just wants to love. That is my inner being, my essence coming through. There's no story of pain. There's no story of loss. There's peace and connection from my inner being towards this koala. And there's no mental story saying how horrible it is that the fires are happening, how horrible it is that potentially a billion animals have died. It's not thinking about anything. There's just a pure love for the koala I'm seeing presented on the screen. It's been fascinating to watch this effect because there's no negative downside to it. There's no mental other end of the stick. There's no polarity to it. There's just love, total acceptance, and appreciation for the image of the animal I'm seeing right in front of me. And that just really speaks to this idea that Eckhart talked about, being the depth of love for any one person can be felt in different degrees. Because Eckhart was asked about love in The Power of Now, and he described it as the essence of love or the essence in its love for everything, loves everything equally. 
But then you kind of wonder to yourself, especially as an ego, <laughs> well, wait, does that mean that everyone's equal and no one means any more than anyone else to you personally? How is that possible? How are you supposed to decide who to marry <laughs> or have families with? What he said was that the essence of love for everyone is the same, from the milkman to the person at the bus stop to the bus driver to your partner and children. The love is at the essence the same for everyone, but the depth you can feel of that love can be felt in different degrees. So the essence towards everyone is ultimately the same, but the mind tends to think of it like it has a budget for love and it's a limited currency and it doles it out to each person on a case-by-case -case basis based on how much it prefers in the attachment mode that person. And also you can get out of the mind with certain people more easily and then have a deeper depth of that awareness of love towards people. But if there is a varying sense of degrees, that's just just attachment showing you where the attachment still lies, preference, pull against or towards. The essence of all is the same. So interesting. Okay, now let's move on to work. Attention versus presence in work and then also attachment versus love in work. So in a work situation, are you in the mind and attachment? Are you in the inner voice, intuition, and presence? Again, you can be present at work. You can be at work or thinking about work and you can use either of these two levels, whether you're using the mind and attention versus intuition, inner being, presence. So giving attention to work is thinking about your job, even when you aren't there or doing it, or worrying about people at work, even when you aren't there working. So you can be giving attention through thought, but there's usually an incessant quality about it, a very polarizing quality about it. I love it or I hate it, or what are they thinking? There's a lot of external perceptions about attention. Meanwhile, presence, when connected to work, typically occurs when you are in presence with working and when the inspiration strikes. So you may not be at work, but you could have a moment of presence with work where an idea occurs to you that could be really wonderful in the work that you do. And so you can have that kind of while you're walking the dog or in the shower, then you can be in presence with it, connected in a calm, beautiful, inspiring way. Or when you're actually doing the thing that you're doing for work, you can also be in beautiful presence with it. And just like that person, that friend you haven't seen for a few weeks or months, maybe even years, you can have presence with work where you're not doing any work. You could go on a vacation in total calm presence and connection to work where you're not thinking about it. You're not giving it mental attention through the week that you're away from work, but you're in presence. You're in this peaceful, calm state of connection to it without having the mental drama of attention going in its direction. So presence doesn't need your attention Often what presence really gives, that connected, calm, peacefulness of a relationship or a work situation allows you to truly be in presence with whatever else is going on in your life in a different moment. Meanwhile, your mind will want to grab your attention on a stressful work situation or relationship situation, even when you're not at work or you're not with the person in the relationship at that moment. It's sitting there worrying, plotting, and planning, wasting your mental energy because it's just giving attention. It's not being in presence and connected to whatever it's currently with instead. So the things that you most allow and feel connected to, you often will think about the least. Well, think about it the least. Now that's not always true. Let's move on to attachment versus love in terms of work. 
if you're attached in the mental attachment to love in work, you can be assuming that it needs to provide all of these numerical targets, especially these external types of validation, whether it's how much money you make or how many people are following you, how many sales you've made, how many clients you bring on board, whatever that might be, those numerical targets or external validations, whether you're getting awards or accomplishments, whether your team is giving you any type of external validation, that is so common in work in our society right now in the Western world at the current level of awareness because the current level of awareness of humanity is so mental and it comes together in a larger context in a work situation. So of course you're gonna see some of the biggest attachments and focuses of the mind in our reality right now around work because most people are bonded together, brought together by things like governments and by work. So it's often the most mental areas of our realities because it's a mental society. So we get most minds attached to these types of experiences. So you can get attached to all that external validation and numbers. You also can, in attachment, in mental attachment to work, have a ton of fear. Fear is attached to the fear of leaving the job or also living in the unknown or uncertainty of leaving a job. So you can even, hate the job, want to leave the job, know that your intuition wants you to leave the job, but you can have fear and therefore be attached to the job. So attachment doesn't always mean you like it. You can loathe someone. Some ex-partner did you wrong. That's such a mental story, right? Or the partner you're with did you wrong and you just haven't left them for whatever mental, fearful reason you haven't left them. The same can be true of a job. You can hate your boss. You can hate your job. You can have all these stories of why in the mind you should leave, but why you won't. And that all comes from the fear of the mind in attachment. It's attached to the fear of leaving a job because it doesn't know how it's gonna make the money. It doesn't know how it's gonna get its next job. It doesn't know where the payment's gonna come from. So that fear of living in the unknown and the uncertainty keeps the mind attached in fear to a job. Now, every inner voice I've ever worked with, and now I have to get the person often if they have a lot of fear in their mind to this topic, take some breathing. And I get them to breathe and go deeper, deeper, deeper underneath all the mental resistance, underneath all the beanbags and fears. We get to that peaceful core within them. Every inner voice I've ever worked with has said the same thing to the person, no matter where they live in the world, no matter what. If I ask the question to the inner voice, inner voice, if you didn't wanna work, and you were living in the body, and we turned off the mind, we turned off the, the character. Let's say for I was talking to Jess, I'll just put myself in the client seat. If I say, if we can turn off the mind of Jess Lively in her voice, and we could just give you total control of the body called Jess Lively, and you're now kind of in charge of robot Jess, would you work at a job you didn't want to work at? They would always say no. They would not work at a job they didn't want to work at. They never tell the mind, never try to take away free will from the mind, but the intuition, if I put it to them this way, the inner voice will always say, no, they would never choose to work at a job they wouldn't like. And then I say, well, what would you do? What if you didn't feel like working inner voice? Would you work? And they say, no, we wouldn't work if we didn't feel like it. And I say, how on earth are you going to pay the bills? You still in that body have to pay the bills. You have to go to, you know, have to eat food, all that stuff that the human still has to do. We've turned their mind off so you have total control what would you do? And they all say, this is so wild. And I'm, I can only imagine how many minds are going to retaliate to this if you have a lot of attachment to fear in career. All the inner voices at the deepest level say they know the money will come 
and they have no care to really explain even how or even to figure it out. They don't think in terms of a how, a when, or a what. They just know and trust that it would. They just have complete trust in that inner voice level of every person I've ever worked with, no matter where they are on the planet. They all know it will work out, but they don't know how. They know that it will work out, but the unknown and the uncertainty of the where, the when, the how doesn't bother them. They just know it'll work out. Now, of course, the mind never has to actually do anything that the intuition says. They have free will. They can choose to live from the fear attachment of the mind, but they are always kind of confronted with the truth is the deepest essence of every person that I've so far worked with, and then we're almost at probably 100 people now, have said they wouldn't work if they didn't desire it. Not that they didn't have to. They don't actually believe they have to work. The inner voice knows that this is true. Now, you can write to your own intuition about what is right for you, but I just ask you to breathe, 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 relax and allow, allow the inner voice to come through you right now, not to stay stuck in any mind stories that have attachment to fear in this area. Find out for yourself. Meanwhile, every inner voice on the subject of career can also love They can love whatever shows up fully. Now, loving whatever shows up fully, being in presence and in this love for your career means that, for example, with me, I've gotten a lot of clarity on this one. This one is a really great, strong area for my inner being to come through. What that looks like for me on a practical level is that my mind can have stories or attachments, right? We said attachment versus love. My mind can be attached to a desire It doesn't really have many specific things anymore, but it could say that I want as many people in the collective collective as possible or as many people in the flow with intention or any other class or the lively TV show as possible. But what I actually do, even though the mind might have that preference, that attachment, I love whatever or whoever or how many people show up fully. So if that's half of what my mind would have wanted, I show up fully to that half number. If that's an entirely sold out TV show experience, I show up fully to that entirely sold out TV experience. If it's podcast downloads, I love whoever shows up. If the Instagram following goes up or goes down, I love and show up fully. No matter what the number is, I honor whatever it is, even if the mind prefers it to be different than what it is. I love it and show up fully to it. I don't let it define how I show up or how I love in the presence of that experience. Also, I think this goes into loving in career is loving yourself enough to leave positions you're no longer expanded by. I love myself enough to leave the show for the long period of time that I did last year when I was no longer feeling the expansion from it. And I love myself enough to come back to it when that occurred. Can you love yourself enough to love yourself and allow yourself to leave things that no longer expand you? Not in fear. I had no idea with the unknown and the uncertainty of what was going to happen. But I did have enough love for myself and trust, like I said, the inner voices say, they have no idea how what's going to happen, but they trust and they know it will work out. I can live in that space myself, even though my mind might have a preference I can choose to live in the uncertainty and the unknown. You're not stuck just living from the fear of the mind. You can allow it to be there and still drop the mic and leave the show for six months. You can still do it and you can have no idea. You can move across the world, spend a ton of money on a house in Detroit while you're spending a ton of more money on Airbnbs in Sydney, having no idea how that's gonna logically make any sense whatsoever. 
and something will show up, something you could never have expected before. But you just allow in the uncertainty of the unknown and something does happen. I've seen it for myself over and over again, but only will you see it when you choose to take it. And if you have a lot of emotional beanbags on a topic, it's very hard to do this. Also, like for example, in relationship, it'd be loving yourself enough to leave relationships where you're no longer expanded by them. That's tough. There's a lot of mental stories saying you should not do that. But of course, your intuition will guide you. It's not hurting you. And it wasn't easy, for example, letting go of Ellie and giving her to my neighbors. But at the same time that that heartbreak attachment in the mind was difficult, there was a peace and knowing underneath that it was the right thing to do. We can choose to leave careers and relationships in the same vein. And often, I love this awareness of attachment and attention versus the presence and love because my mind can often want to leave a situation career or relationship-wise. It can want, my mind can want to leave it because it wants to take the action to just push it away or do something different or find something else. But I can now sense into the presence and the love of my intuition and often it still wants to be in a situation my mind would otherwise leave so it goes both ways you just have to have the discernment to go am i coming from the peace calm loving connected part of me or am i just reacting out of attachment or attention now on this topic of passion so when it comes to love and work of course passion comes up Passion is fun and I love it because I think this can explain it really clearly. Sometimes careers are passions, which means you would do it regardless of external measures, like whether or not you get paid for it or not. Remember that, like the idea of the phrase of like, do something that you love so much, it doesn't matter if you ever get paid and you'll never work a day in your life. In this case then, passion is completely unrelated to career because it doesn't matter whether you get paid or not. So it truly doesn't matter if the something you do is hobby or getting paid, but often passion does come through a career. So for me in consciousness, I am passionate about consciousness. I would do everything I'm doing with my consciousness regardless of whether I talk to you guys on a microphone or not. You guys just hopefully get to benefit sometimes from some of the stuff that I learn that I think might help you as well. But I'm so passionate about this subject I don't need to get paid to do it. It is such a deep part of me. Meanwhile, when it comes to things like decorating, I am passionate about decorating too, but I don't do that for a career. I don't get paid for it, but I don't care. It's still a passion. So I still love decorating either way, and I still love consciousness either way. So I don't think that passion and love for what you do has to necessarily always be a part of an equation of cash flow. However, most inner voices tend to like to do things that make them money that they also enjoy or they would choose not to do them. But again, you're going to have to find out what's true for you in your inner voice and have the courage or not to choose to follow what it says for you to do. And you just always have this choice. Am I going to act from the attachment and attention of the mind or am I going to choose to act from the presence and the love of the intuition. Which one am I acting from right now or which one has my awareness at this moment and how do I wanna behave because of it? All right, last but not least guys, now we are on to health situations. Attention versus presence in health. This is fun too, because it's something that I've been able to see so clearly in my own life and also with the inner voices that I work with. 
When it comes to the mind and attention and health, one of the easiest places to look at is how humans focus on eating. So I'm going to use this as an example right now, especially in America and other Western cultures too, but especially in America. And I would say it's kind of shifted now to different lifestyles. But when I was growing up, especially in the 90s, and my own disordered eating was around that time too, so I was especially aware of it then. There was so much information shared about what to eat, when to eat, and how much to eat. All of those types of decisions. Are you an intermittent faster? Are you, breakfast is the most important meal of the day? Are you calorie counting? Are you using dietary restrictions based on facts, research, and in our current mode of world, documentaries? Are you choosing in your mind, giving attention to food? I know this is gonna challenge so many people. (laughs) All of that is the mind. And the mind is also, have a healthy dose of awareness here. When the mind is also aware, by the way, the same space is where disordered eating lives. It lives in the mind. Your intuition doesn't have disordered eating. Disordered is disorder. It's out of order. Disordered eating, and as a nine-year person that lived with restrictive eating, borderline anorexic, and then also binge eating, the other half of those nine years, I have seen both sides of a spectrum when it comes to disordered eating too little and too much. And I can tell you from that experience myself directly, talk about attention. I thought during those nine years about food, my body and what I weighed more than anything else in my entire life for almost an entire decade. So I could do, oh God, it was a huge, huge part of my life for almost a decade. And it was the first area that I got to this intuitive level about because it was the first thing that I dealt with in such a deep way. Now, I can say disordered. It's out of order because the true ordered eating, if there's disordered eating, there's also ordered eating. What is ordered eating? Inspiration from intuition executed from the mind. Intuitive eating. Eating in order is eating what comes naturally without the mind's interference. But our society as a generality here, especially in the United States, I can speak to directly, and also in other Western cultures too, it just doesn't seem quite as strong and pervasive in places like Europe or here in South Africa or in Australia as what I find in America. It's much more broken down and much more mental In other places, there's kind of still a general awareness towards holistic foods or foods that come from a natural state versus boxed. You know, there's still some type of awareness in other cultures, definitely as well. But there's even more sparsing and putting things into boxes and piles of good and bad, I find. And also, where is disordered eating also very strongly prevalently an issue? America. And they think that by thinking about it, they're going to solve it. (laughs) It's not necessarily the same thing. To go from unawareness into over-awareness is not necessarily to go into intuitive awareness. So we gotta keep going when it comes to these things. I'm not saying that unconscious eating and not paying attention and eating fast food every day is a positive thing. I do think there is some level of awareness that comes out of unconsciousness that's useful, but then it goes, and you don't want to stay stuck in the overly mental era. You want to go into the presence, the essence presence of things like eating. Now, this goes into every inner voice session that I've ever worked with. I ask the inner voice, inner voice, and I get the client to breathe out because their mind will have all these stories potentially for their own eating and what's good and bad for them based on what their mind has read, thinks, or believes. And then I get them to breathe, breathe, breathe. And I get them down there underneath all the resistance. And I say, is there anything this person cannot eat? And every inner voice has some variation, all 100 or so people I've worked with. If they want to eat it, they can. 
dun 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 what is that to every documentary you've ever watched on netflix if you want to eat it you can if you want to eat it you can 100 inner voices are saying if you want to eat it you can and all of these things are out there saying all of these different products and supplements and all of these documentaries if you want to eat it you can but again we're talking about presence here we're talking about the essence of you in presence in a calm peaceful, loving, not attached place, if that part of you wants to eat it, you can. Preferences naturally occur from the body knowing what it wants and needs to best serve the body. Things like pregnancy are great because you can see cravings emerge. Now, some of them may seem obvious that they may need certain things like iron or zinc and they're getting it through certain things that they're eating. But even for example, preferences naturally occur when needs shift. For me, eating meat several years ago just became uninteresting. I naturally just started to prefer not eating it. And if it ever changed and I ever wanted to eat meat, I would choose to start eating it again. I still love eating seafood, so I never stopped eating seafood. But the idea, the option to eat other types of meat no longer became my preference. Like some people don't like white chocolate as much as milk chocolate. And some people like dark chocolate more than milk chocolate. Those are all preferences. And some people don't even like chocolate at all. But when you have a preference like eating chocolate or not eating chocolate or eating a really dark chocolate, to me, they taste pretty dry and bland the darker you go. But I have so many friends, probably more friends that feel the other way. And my favorite's like a vegan milk chocolate, but either way, that's my favorite preference is a vegan milk chocolate. I just think it tastes the best. So I eat it because it's my natural preference. But if I ever felt like eating meat, I would eat it. And also this is just a potential I'm holding for the planet is that I have no idea if the natural intuitive preference for every single person should be, for example, an America paleo <laughs> and eating a lot of meat or vegan and not eating any animal products. What I hold the potential for personally at least because it just seems a lot more of like a holistic, healthy way for the planet to survive, is that the intuitions, the natural intuitions of every person will bring them to the optimal health in eating that's right for them. That's the idea of this, right? If you want to eat it, you can. I don't want to eat meat, so I don't eat it. But if I wanted to eat it, I could eat it according to the intuition and inner voices of everyone. I love that freedom it gives me. Now, with that, I love the idea of the planet being able to best serve itself, its population, by the intuitive eatings of everyone. So the idea is that not everyone needs or should eat meat and not everyone shouldn't eat meat, but that if everyone was eating in this deep intuitive way, the planet could support the needs of both the vegans or the vegetarians or the pescatarians or the flexitarians and the paleos and the carnivores and the omnivores, that everybody could coexist together. But right now the imbalance is coming from either unconscious eating or overly mental eating, and also the lack of consciousness and how all of this food is produced and promoted and delivered throughout the world. Of course, we have a long way to go. We're still a young species in many, many ways. But my idea and my hope is that everyone eventually finds their sovereignty and their freedom of expression to live to the well-being of their body and that they're not using any documentary, any statistic or any religion or otherwise, that they find the truth within themselves to eat in that moment whatever they want to eat. And that's the other thing it brings me to. The presence of the inner being with food is what is in the present moment the most most aligning thing you can eat. That might mean every three months it's a hamburger for someone. 
But that doesn't mean that makes them a vegan or makes it, why do they have to have an identity around any of these types of things? Can your food be a moment to moment choice? Oh my gosh, what if we called ourselves nowitarians? I just came up with that right now. That just came to me. Nowitarians. What is the most aligning thing for me to eat right now? Because the inner voice, to be honest, guys, that's the best way to describe what they say. Whatever you need in the present moment, whatever is most aligning for you from this deep, peaceful, connected, non-mental, non-attached place. Now, God knows I was a binge eater for five years of my life. Binge eating because you go, okay, well, what if I want to eat 40 Oreos? Oh God, have I done that before? So many times that I was into a point of such discomfort all the time from eating that I'd have to lay with my legs up the wall because I was not bulimic. I hated vomiting. I would binge eat like crazy, but I was not going to throw it up. So I would eat so much that I'd feel like throwing up and I'd have to find a way to soothe out my stomach. How was I going to not vomit after attachment eating? So when you say, what is the thing I want to eat? If you want to eat it, you can. It does not mean attachment. Okay, please do not look at attention in the mind as if you want to eat it, you can. I binge ate for five years. That is a completely different energy and is completely mental. My body did not want to eat 40 Oreos. It did not want to go to Olive Garden and eat so much food. And then I would come home after eating, and this is in college, and just put my legs up the wall. That was not my essence and presence. I was so detached from my intuition in that state of being. That is completely the opposite. So please, please, please don't let your mind rationalize with you and say that if you eat what you want to eat, you can, that you're going to somehow become this horribly overweight and obese person. Oh, no, no. I was the, <laughs> I was overweight from the mind, not from my presence. And when I started to shift to my intuition and really learn how to sense into the deep, peaceful place within myself and eat from there, I was not restricted to anything. I just later evolved into having preferences like not eating meat. But again, it doesn't mean that I have a preference that other people shouldn't eat meat. I think everyone should listen to what their inner beings are calling them to. Because truly, everyone's inner being in some level has an essence that is consistent throughout eternity. So I trust that that being within everyone has everyone covered. When the urge and surge to eat subsides and satisfaction occurs, that's also a sign from your presence and connection to stop eating. So you can start and stop eating from this natural place rather than the mental story. And then in terms of attachment versus love, your mind's going to attach to the foods and how it makes you look on Instagram if you share about it, how it makes you look in your bikini if you go to the beach. Does it conform to other people's expectations and societal norms? Do I get to fall into a category like vegan or plant-based or paleo or banting is a South African diet I've found out about? And uh, is it all of those things? Am I following the societal expectations? Am I also looking good enough, pretty enough, strong enough, thin enough? Those are all attachments. Those are all the mind attaching its expectations and approvals to either the body or to the foods that you're eating. Meanwhile, if we look at health in the terms of food and love, you can love the food and you can enjoy it completely. And actually, I've started to notice that I really, really love this uh, Lecker burger. It's a vegan Beyond Burger here in Cape Town. It's delicious. And I also love nachos by Guzman and Gomez in Australia. When I eat those types of foods, I notice that the mind, even though I have a deep love for them, wants to kind of still 
attached to them, wants to give them attention and attachment and kind of craves them, but also like worries about gaining weight and all that mental drama. What I've noticed is as I'm going more into this love is to actually turn off all distractions. When I'm going to eat that Lecker burger, or I'm going to eat those nachos to not just do it while I'm doing something else that I find aligning, but to give my full and undivided attention to the nachos or to the Lecker burger. That's been a really nice thing. It's a subtle shift, but before I would enjoy those foods, I would let myself enjoy them. I did love them, but the mind still had a tension and a little bit of a dissonance on them because it's like, can I really not work out? And can I really eat all this food? And blah, blah, blah. So the mind would still be in a little bit of a disarray about it. But as I've started to really just be even more in presence and love and allow those qualities to come through, it's been a deeper experience of the food itself, which has actually been really enjoyable. So you might want to try that as well. And again, this kind of goes back to love in the sense of how you look in the body and how this makes you look. I'm focusing on the shift from the attachment mode, which my mind for nine years knew very well. How do I look? Does it conform to others' expectations or norms? Am I good enough? Whatever. What I'm looking at now is, again, you guys heard me talk about the koalas on Instagram after the Aussie fire. I'm not looking at their sores. I don't look at them and say, well, this is the cutest koala I've ever seen, or this one is cuter because its eyes are more widely set, or this one is better. I'm just looking at whatever koala I'm seeing, and I'm loving it completely as it is, and there's no comparison or contrast to it. There's just love for what I see presented in front of me. That's it. No opposite. Now that I'm sensing into that, I'm actually looking at whether or not I can start to sense into that way of viewing myself. Can I look at Jess? And can I love her in the mirror the way I look at those koalas? The koalas, that's occurring naturally. And all of this also kind of gives me a heads up that I wonder if eventually this will just start occurring naturally because I didn't go into the koala viewing with the expectation that I would start loving them so unconditionally. But now that I know what that feels like, I am curious to see if I can feel that reaction to my mirror image. Now, right now, it might just be my mind trying and mimicking the love that's naturally happening for the koalas. But even still, that's okay. It's still showing me the awareness of when it's in the mind versus when it's in koala love land. <laughs> and so if I'm in the mind, I can tell because I know what it's like to look at a koala on Instagram. And if I'm not looking at myself the way I look at the koala on Instagram, I know I'm in the mind. So again, all of these things for you guys are to share in hopes that you'll be able to listen to this and start to reflect in your life when you're in a relationship situation or a work situation or a health situation and ask yourself, am I coming from the mind on this topic or am I seeing this in the present moment through presence and connection to my essence? And as you're aware, you're also then aware of what choices and actions you have to take. Because if you know you're in the mind and you know you're in attention or attachment, then you know any desired outcomes or actions you want to take at that moment come from the mind and are not necessarily, most likely are not, the same actions that your inner being presence would have. So then you have a choice and you can also shift into your perspective. And if you get clear enough from the beanbags and you're not so riddled with them, you can also start to have this kind of dual perspective where you can see the mind jibber jabber away but not act on it. You can see it, but then still feel into the peace within yourself. So like for me with Ellie, when it came time to give her as a full adoptive parents to my neighbors, 
my mind still had all of the heartbreak and beanbags to go with that, but I still had the clarity and the knowingness that it was time to let them move forward to taking her and adopting her more completely. So you can still move forward with your inner being and your intuition, even when your mind has beanbags and attachments at the same time. So there you guys have it. I hope you enjoyed this. And yeah, let me know if this has helped you, whether you do that over in an email, if you reply to the email list email, or also on Instagram at Jess C as in Cookie Lively. I hope you enjoyed this episode and I'll see you next week. Until then, may something wonderful happen to you today. <laughs>